This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by LifeWay, publisher of The Sermon on the Mount Bible Study by Jen Wilkin. In this nine-session study, Wilkin invites readers to examine and learn from Jesus' longest recorded message and challenge themselves to think differently about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. With your purchase, you'll also receive access to this study's video sessions. Get your copy today at lifeway.com slash sermon on the mount. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. Today you'll hear a panel from Suzanne Bates, Betsy Childs Howard, Courtney Reisig, and Kristen Wetherill on finding peace in the midst of an anxious world. This talk was originally delivered at TGC's 2021 Women's Conference. breakout session is sponsored by Covenant College. Their generous support makes this session possible, and you can learn more about Covenant College by visiting them online at covenant.edu. And I am very happy to be here with these wonderful ladies, and we are going to each introduce ourselves before we start talking about fear and anxiety. So we'll each tell you a little bit about ourselves, very brief, and also what our history with this subject has been like. So I'll start. My name is Betsy Childs Howard. Um, I am. I live in New York City. My husband is a church planter there, and I have one baby son. And um, I've dealt with normal types of anxiety my whole life. I grew up in a Christian home. You know, there have been plenty of times that I've been anxious and had to rely on the promises of God. There have also been a few times in my life where I've had what I would call clinical anxiety, where my body was really affected couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, and medication has been really helpful to me in that struggle. So I've, I've dealt with both sides of it, and we'll talk more about that, but that's a little about, bit about me and my history. So Suzanne, tell us about you. Hello, everybody. I'm Suzanne, and I would have to say that for me, anxiety in my life has been something that I haven't dealt with as directly on a regular day-to-day, but I have dealt with when I've traveled in terms of having a panic attack on a flight. Before I get to that, though, I'll tell you I am with... 
where do I work? Covenant Theological Seminary. I am the assistant professor of counseling there. Now you're going to wonder about me, aren't you? <laughs> and that's okay. Um, and, you know, I, I've been there um, now for probably about um, 10 years doing um, adjunct teaching, associate dean, and now full-time professor. I'm also on staff at my church as the staff counselor and um, take great delight in being able to meet with um, men and women and families around issues. So I've had a lot of clients over my years that have struggled with anxiety and have come in for various reasons to want to learn how to manage that in their lives, whether they've been clinically diagnosed and on medication and or not. Um, I did have an experience on a plane, and I'll tell you quickly about when I was traveling to Kenya one year for a missionary trip, and the plane was delayed um, in terms of letting passengers off after an eight-hour flight, and then we had to catch another eight-hour flight plane. And um, when we did that, um, there was no layover time to like breathe and get air in the airport. And so I got on the second flight and I was great for about six hours and into that last two hours, I had what I would classify as my very first extreme panic attack. And maybe I'll share a little bit more about that with you later and, and how I knew that that was happening and then how I responded to it. I'm Courtney Rysick and I am I'm married to Daniel. I live in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm the mom of four boys. And um, I have dealt with anxiety, kind of like, like Betsy was talking about, I've dealt with it in just like generalized anxiety over um, life, but um, particularly our family and then myself have dealt with a number of health issues that have contributed to a lot of uh, anxiety and fear. And so, um, and also dealt with postpartum depression and anxiety. And so I was on medication um, after one of my sons was born. And so I've dealt with it in a variety of circumstances, but um, yeah. My name is Kristen. I'm married to Brad, who is a pastor, and I have a three and a half year old girl and a one year old baby boy. Um, I'm a writer, and my experience with anxiety has, I'd say, I would say, primarily come in the form of um, personality based anxiety. I'm very type A, tend to really struggle with perfectionism and wanting things to be just so, wanting to be in control. So my whole life, I have grown anxious about circumstances and um, had to learn to trust God in them. Um, but more recently, it's caught me off guard because we, my family just had a season of many changes, change upon change, um, from a new baby to a new pastoral position, a new church campus, and a new house. And it was a lot. And before I knew it, uh, the room would start spinning. And my heart was palpitating and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, what is going on? So I think um, I was experiencing a different kind of anxiety where um, you know, the source wasn't so clear. It was just coming on and hitting me like a brick wall. And so in the last year, that's been a great challenge for me as well as navigating some of the anxiety that I can't quite put my finger on. So before we start our discussion, just to kind of help people see how many different types of fear and anxiety there are even in this room. And with those of you watching online, we wanna do something and you don't have to do this if you're not comfortable with it. So don't feel guilty if you don't wanna raise your hand, but I'm just gonna call out some different 
categories of anxiety. And if you've dealt with this and are comfortable, raise your hand if it fits you. And there may be more than one category. And even if you're home watching online, please do this with us just to help yourself think through your history and what ways these apply to you. So I'll just call out some different things and raise your hand if you've ever had a panic attack. If you have fear of public speaking, if you've had postpartum anxiety or depression, if you've had free-floating anxiety, fear of being alone, obsessive thoughts, fear of what people think, probably everybody can raise their hand that one, anxiety following a trauma. So those are certainly not the only types, but those are some different types that can be um, really distressing. And we, they're also not all the, we don't deal with them all in the same way in terms of how to cope with those. So before we talk about how to cope, Suzanne, since she is our professional on the panel, is going to give us some definitions um, for what is fear, what is anxiety, what is clinical anxiety. Well, it is really helpful to see the different types of anxiety with which many of you have suffered and struggled. And what I want to say to you first about that is this is not something to feel shame about. You can see how many women around you raised your hands, and those of you at home, we know too that you're struggling um, with some women's anxiety, and actually with COVID, and all of the events and the circumstances of our nation, honestly, most people are dealing with that. If it's not anxiety, it could be depression, extreme sadness, extreme grief. So really you're not alone in what you're having as an experience emotionally around events and circumstances of today. So I really want to normalize that for you and, and have you not leave feeling as if this is something that is wrong with you. Um, and not to think of it that way. It's something that is happening to you or within you, but it's not wrong with you. I also want to say that anxiety does not define you. In other words, you know, we use terms like my anxiety or my cancer or my this or that. I try not to say the my part just because it's that sense of owning it as part of my being. Even though anxiety may be something that you deal with on a regular basis in your life, it does not define you. It is not the only thing about your existence, even when it may feel all-consuming. And there are times that you may have that experience in anxiety. So when you're looking at anxiety, if you were to say, how do I know that I wrestle with anxiety? How do I know that I wrestle with it on a clinical level? How do I know that it's not just general? If you've ever taken a test, you've had anxiety about that. I can say to you, I haven't dealt with anxiety on the regular day to day, but I, every single semester when I was working on my master's, Every single semester after the first class, when I would get all the information of everything that I needed to learn and to do, all the papers I had to write, I would get anxious. I would have anxious thoughts and think, there's no way that I can do this. And I would start thinking about how I couldn't think enough to even be able to do the work. That's a general kind of anxiety that can happen when you have circumstances that come in. There's anxiety about us sitting up here on a panel with you. I mean, it's, you may think it's maybe it's pretty simple to do, 
but there's a lot of anxiety that comes with it and what we're going to say. There's an anxiety if you're going to go on an interview for a new job and you're thinking, oh, I want it to go well. These are things that are typical and natural experiences, and they can be good. They can be good because what it does is it prepares your heart to get ready to do the best that you can do. So you're going to be thinking about things. You may be going to go over your notes a little more. You're going to talk to other people that can give you information. So that is a, a form of anxiety that can be very healthy because it can produce in you a fruit that helps you accomplish a task that perhaps you might have set out to accomplish. You may also have anxiety if you're afraid of a dog or some animal or something like that, and you think, oh, there's a dog here. I'm afraid of dogs, and I'm just going to stay away. The fear is there. It's a basic fear. Dogs are something that triggers something for you. And so you say, I'm going to stay away from the dog. When you move into a more anxious presence with that dog, it's going to be when you're saying, no, the dog is going to bite me so much that I have to, I feel dysregulated. I have to pull away from the situation. I can't be in the same space or the house, even if the dog is restrained. And you may have other thoughts. That may be a higher level of anxiety around that animal. So it's important to know what's general. What are things that happen to most people in situations and that, that are healthy? When you move beyond that, you want to look at how is your day dysregulated? How is your life circumstance changed? You're not able to get out of bed. You're not able to go to work. You have a fear of, of what can come to happen in a situation. You have dread come over you. You have thoughts that are racing and you cannot slow them down. They may or may not be attached to certain things. They may be um, just very random and you're thinking, wow, I wasn't even thinking about that. And all of a sudden, I had all these thoughts that were racing through my head and I was trying to figure out how to figure out where they came from and the anxiety of having the racing thoughts made you even more anxious. And you're going to have that more prolonged. You're going to have a period of about six months where you've really been struggling with this anxiety. It may be many events. It may be one event. Like I said, it may be a lot of racing thoughts. It may be things that happen within your body. Perhaps your blood pressure rises. You start panicking a little bit. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about what distinguishes a panic attack because you can have anxiety anxiety and not ever really suffer a panic attack. You can have a panic attack and you may not have anxiety on the regular, which is what I experienced and that's why I wanted to point that out to you. So um, when you're having this anxiety though, you're going to have things that may also be happening within your body. You know, you may feel like you're trembling inside, your heart is palpitating, it's racing, um, you may get sweaty palms, you may stutter on your speech because you feel like you can't get your thoughts under control, um, you may um, feel extreme fatigue, you may have other things like that come over you as well that are going to be indicators that there's something going on that's... Um, more than the average anxiety for just related to some event that typically, and we can talk about how to even work through those kinds of situations. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, so as Christians, we approach this with some different questions sometimes than people that are not followers of Christ. And one of those questions is, is anxiety always sin? Yes. Courtney, what are your thoughts? on anxiety and sin and the relationship? Yeah, I would say no. So I guess the easy, quick answer is no. Um, but then obviously we need to explain that a little further. And uh, 
the reality is with anxiety, so much of the struggles that we have is we live in a broken world. So we, not only are we living in a broken world, but we're living in broken bodies. So our, we are experiencing circumstances, maybe our bodies are broken, so we have like physical trauma that leads to anxiety, or we have brains that have imbalances and that leads to anxiety. And so we're living in a broken world. And so I think oftentimes we feel like anxiety could be a sin because it feels like it's something that's out of our control. And if we feel like we can't control something, then that must be sinful. Um, but at the end of the day, anxiety, the, the fruit of anxiety, the result of anxiety is like our response to our anxiety could be sinful, but anxiety in and of itself is not. And one of the most helpful things to me was, is reading the Psalms is because in the Psalms, sometimes you get spirals of thoughts. You get a whole host of like Psalm 88. I always go back to Psalm 88 because I feel like it's such a comforting Psalm for the person who is in a spiral of thoughts and it's, it ends in darkness. It ends with no resolution. It ends with God has forsaken me and so has everyone else. And anxiety can make you feel like no one understands, no one cares for me, and I'm never going to get out of this. And God is so kind and gracious to his people to give us his word, to comfort us, not just in the good times, but in our anxious times as well. And so all thing, all of our, all of the things that we experience in this broken world can lead to sinful responses, but in and of itself, I would say anxiety is not sinful. Kristen, Tell us what your thoughts are. No, I, I'm really encouraged in scripture. I actually just did a word search on anxiety, which can sometimes be helpful and sometimes not. But in this case, it was really helpful to me because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11:28, he says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's Paul. Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.16 says, Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She's been praying for a child and pouring out her heart before the Lord. And so as Suzanne was saying, anxiety in itself isn't necessarily a bad or sinful thing. Um, in fact, the, around these two passages, we're not given an indication that these two are sinning. Um, in fact, they're pressing on toward the Lord in the midst of their anxiety. So I was very encouraged by that. And if I can add, do you mind? I mean, this is really huge because if you read the scriptures, you read anxiety all through pages and look at how many times the Lord encourages our heart around fear and anxiety. You know, do not be anxious, do not be discouraged, do not be fearful. And it's because he knows our frame and he knows that we're going to struggle with this area of life. At some point, things will come up that will be challenging for us, that will cause a sense of anxiety and or fear or dread. So what might be an example of a sinful response to anxiety? Oh, that's a great question. Mine is always anger. Anger? Yeah, I just get mad at the world. So I'm like, I'm mad at you, and I'm mad at you, and I'm mad at you. I just like have these outbursts. And I've, I've learned it's a spiral for me where I just get incredibly, like, I'm so anxious and I'm so stressed. And so as a result, I just take it out on everyone else and I explode. And my husband often, he's learned now and he'll be like, is there something else going on? <laughs> like, and um, so for me, it's always an outburst of anger because anger for me feels like a sense of control. I, I'm in control of how hateful I'm being right now. And anxiety makes me feel like I'm not in control. Any other examples? I was thinking worry to the point that it removes me from being present in my current situation because I'm so, my thoughts are so fixated on what I'm anxious about. Um, worry to the point that it's kind of sucking the joy right. out of 
living in the light of God's presence. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, and I would say anger is the number one for clients that I see in my office. The other one is going to be manipulation. When you're manipulating people and circumstances in order to try to avoid the anxiety, because that actually that is where many hearts go until you learn how to work through the anxiety. So you want to avoid it at all costs, you want to reduce it at all costs, and sometimes we do that at the cost and the expense of others. That's really helpful. Um, I may have weighted the scale a bit on this by saying that I have taken medication for anxiety, but what do you think? Is it wrong to treat anxiety with medication? I would say absolutely not. If you need to take medication, um, Courtney indicated it earlier, there are sometimes physiological, biological components, things that are going on within your body where you may actually need um, and medication to help you. And it is not a, a sign of weakness. It is not a sign of you being extremely broken and something's wrong with you. When I have clients come into my office that are dealing with anxiety and they want to know, should I take medication? What, one of the things that I do like to do with them is I like to get a really good assessment of what their anxiety actually looks like. I actually do ask them if we can have some time to meet when we can maybe talk through some of the issues. I can work with them on some techniques. And then as we're doing that, we're also assessing whether or not they need medication. So you may be thinking, I've been wondering about if I should get on something, I'm not really sure. You know, if you're working with a therapist, please talk to your therapist about it. Some people will just go see their primary care doctor. You can do that and say, I'm feeling anxious. If you get on medication and you're working with a therapist, please tell your therapist about it. Because it's very important that I'm able to track my clients while they're on medication so I can see what kinds of things are going on. But it has been tremendously helpful, especially when you can get your thoughts focused, you can get regulated enough. Sometimes the anxiety is so high that we may even have trouble working in the session together until I regulate them, which there are certain techniques that I do to do that just so we can get through the session. So it's really important to know that if you need medication, it is not something to feel badly about or shameful about. And, and yes, it can be very beneficial, but also stay in care. Make sure you get medication and see a therapist, not just get the medication. Yeah, like one thing that was helpful to me is one of my friends um, who's a psychologist explained to me, I had, I had PTSD after my last son was born, I had a really traumatic experience. And um, he explained to me that medication, he, he saw PTSD um, clients who were, came home from war, but he was explaining that medication allows you the space to process what you've gone through. So you're not able, like it's, it, it's, you're living in such a heightened state that you're unable to process and work through the anxiety. And so what medication can do is kind of lower some of that for you so that you can do the work of processing it. And that was a helpful explanation for me is that I was living in such a heightened state. Like I couldn't, I couldn't think through it. I couldn't process it without reliving it. So I needed some, something to help me um, to process it. Yeah, that, that was my experience. And one sign to me that I needed something was when my anxiety was affecting me really physically yes. in ways that were totally disconnected from my thinking, like waking up and, you know, or not being able to keep down food. Mm -hmm. Then I needed to fight physically. 
so that I could get back to a place where I could fight mentally. And I had some thoughts of like, is that too self-focused that I'm just like worrying all about myself? But I finally realized I can't help other people. I couldn't walk into a room and ask somebody, how are you doing? Because I felt so inside myself with how I was feeling. And it helped me to realize that medication could get me to a point where I could get my anxiety under control to then be able to minister and love other people better. Absolutely. And I think one of the things with with medication is that when, or any type of medication, so not just anxiety medication, because I think we have a lot of shame associated with anxiety, but any type of medication that you, you use potentially as a crutch and not the opportunity to do the hard work of fixing something um, is, is, is not ever a good sign. So using it as a tool that God has given us to then do the hard work um, we can, one of my friends was like, he's a physician and he said, I mean, if you had diabetes, you would take insulin. And so, um, but you would still do the hard work exactly of not eating, um, not eating too much sugar. So it's just like that. That's a great analogy. That's right. So this talk is about fear and anxiety. They're very closely related. You can't draw a sharp line between them, but, um, there's also sinful fear. And there's the fear of the Lord, which is the opposite of sin. Kristen, what would you say is the relationship between those two? Sinful fear, fear of the Lord. Yeah. Well, to comfort us, a great verse in the Psalms is Psalm 56.3, where David says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not if I am afraid, but when I am afraid, because we are going to be afraid in this life. And I think it's helpful, first of all, to distinguish between um, different types of fear, just like we're distinguishing between different degrees of anxiety. Not all fear is bad fear. In fact, fear can be a mercy from the Lord that he's instilled in us um, as a protective measure to defend ourselves against danger. Um, Why do I respond in fear when my my toddler daughter darts toward the street. <laughs> it's a gift from the Lord. So not all fear is bad. But that said, um, I do find it helpful to think about fear in terms of the posture of our hearts or um, the sight of the eyes of our hearts. And um, I love the story of Peter when Jesus calls him to walk out on the water. And um, if the fear of the Lord is the posture of our hearts, keeping our eyes on him, being in the word, learning what he says about who he is, and and asking him to help us trust him, um, then the less we will be afraid by looking at other things. Not that we won't be afraid, because we will. We will not be completely removed from fear until we're in his presence someday. Um, But I have found that to be helpful. If keeping the eyes of my heart on the Lord um, gives me a right perspective on who he is, who he made me to be, um, what his purposes for my life might be, and for the things happening around me, it's going to put life in perspective. And the more I steep myself in scripture, then when these circumstances come, hopefully the eyes of my heart are trained to look at him, um, not primarily at my circumstances. So I find that fear for me can turn sinful when I start to see bitter fruit. I know that I'm keeping my eyes more focused on my, my circumstances than the Lord when I start to see anger or doubt or bitterness take root, thanklessness. Um, and I think that we see really clearly in scripture that those are not good things. So those are just some thoughts. Do any of you have advice for how to train your thought life 
to rather to, to look at Jesus rather than look at the things that make you fearful or anxious? Oh man. Well, that is so loaded. That question is just loaded, Betsy. <laughs> they were not expecting me to ask that, sorry. I mean, come on, if we could all train our thought lives all the time, wouldn't we be much better? I mean, wow. We've heard this so much this morning and yesterday through our plenary speakers about our tongue. And of course, that has a lot to do with the way we're thinking about God and thinking about others and thinking about ourselves and thinking about the word and whether or not we believe the word. But I would say, um, you know, you can begin to... Um, think more about who God is over the circumstances, first by really having that relationship with him. Second, by asking his word to come alive in your heart so that you're able to read it and apply it. And then asking the Holy Spirit to guide and direct your thoughts to help you to be able to think about him. It is a practice. There's a book that I love by um, written about Brother Lawrence's life, and it's The Practice of the Presence of God. And I like that little book. It's very dense because it actually does a lot of speaking into practicing the presence of God, the awareness of God, the knowledge of God over and above our circumstances. Johnny Erickson Tata wrote a lovely little book too many years ago called A Quiet Place in a Crazy World. And you know, just you know stories of her life as a quadriplegic and just how to get through the day to day when there's so much chaos around in her own world, in her own life, and in the world um, outside of her. And part of that is a, a practicing paying attention to God in the circumstances and wanting that to be the, the part of you that is driven in your anxiety or your fear or your depression. But it is a loaded question because it does take practice. Um, one of the things, and I'll give you an idea about um, that panic attack that I had on the flight. And I really hadn't planned on talking about that with you today. And I actually have my computer up because I was going to read a quote to you from a, another book and then forgot to read it to you. So maybe we'll come back to it. But when I had this panic attack, I knew that I was having a panic attack because I had um, the desire. I felt like I was going to hyperventilate. My heart was racing. My thoughts were racing. I felt dizzy. I felt hot. I was in the middle seat of five seats in a row in an international flight. You know how they have the middle section and I thought this is terrible I'm gonna have to crawl over people and what if I throw up on all these people and I only had in front of me as a screen the television set that shows you the map of where the plane is over the water or whatever of the mountains and the terrain and I just thought oh my goodness I'm just I'm gonna die sitting in this seat and and the panic attack came on me so suddenly when I awakened and I realized I'm having a panic attack. Now I know that because I'm a therapist. And so I began to have to start telling myself the circumstances. And one, God was in the midst. I knew he wasn't gonna allow me to be on that plane and, and get that sick and, and have something happen tragically on the plane as we were going to be missionaries and do some work in Kenya. Um, and so I knew that his hand was on us, but it was hard to keep my thoughts in that direction. Even though I knew what to do to talk myself down, it was hard to keep my thoughts in that direction, but 
I had to keep saying to myself over and over, you're just having a panic attack. Don't act like you're not. You're having one. It's okay that you're having a panic attack. You've been on the flight for a long time. And so I was doing all of this internal talking to myself. You don't, you're not going to get sick. You feel like you're going to get sick. You feel like you're going to throw up. And that is normal because that's what happens with a panic attack. But you're actually not going to throw up. Just go back to sleep. You can just go back to sleep and you'll be okay. So I did this for two hours. Two hours of talking myself through. I would doze off and wake back up and I'm like, no, I still have an hour and a half. Wake back up, oh no, I still have an hour. I'm not going to make it. But I did make it. I did make it, and part of that was realizing and trying to rest in the Lord and allowing myself to actually engage that attack. So when we think about controlling our thoughts, oftentimes the hard part is we want to move away from our circumstances. We don't actually want to acknowledge we're in the circumstance. And part of the training is to acknowledge I'm in the circumstance, God is with me in the circumstance, and he can help me in the circumstance. Did you have something you want to say? Okay. I had something that we do with our kids. I don't know if that would be helpful for like with children, but one of the things we do with our sons is we rehearse um, true things that we know about God. So when we're, and I, I think it's helpful for adults. Paul says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And there's so much about remembering true things about who God is. So we talk about, there's a number of things we say like, who is, who's always with you? Well, God is always with me. And um, who is true? Well, God is true. Is your fear true right now? Is what you're afraid of true right now? And then we'll have them name all the true things that they know in the room and um, they share rooms with their brothers and so like my brother is true and this person's true my blankie is true and like trying to remember uh, true things about who God is and then um, is God good and just things that are that are planting in them that they can recite to themselves they have like a little um the little thing we call it the Frisbee of God, and it's like this little thing, and it has all these true things about who God is, and they can read it. And it doesn't take the anxiety away. I mean, they, they still have it, but it does help give them true things about who God is, which I think is really important for us when we're struggling with believing those things, because our circumstances say it's not true. And I have found scripture memory to be so helpful. There's a reason that Ephesians 6 calls the word the sword of the spirit, because often anxiety and fear are battles that we're waging war against. And so taking scripture with me in my mind or just posting it around my house has been really helpful to me too. Well, that leads into, we were going to talk about what's the relationship between anxiety and spiritual warfare. Yes. And, and Ephesians certainly does bring that together. Um, I think... Anxiety is the kind of battle we need to fight on all fronts. Mm -hmm. So we fight it in our minds, we fight it in our bodies if we need to, and we certainly fight it in the word and on the spiritual level. Um, Suzanne, did you have comments on? Yeah, so <laughs> she's hitting my little hot spots. Warfare is huge. So this is something that I love to talk about with people because I think in the church today, in our country, we don't take it as seriously as we sometimes may need. Um, we put so much pressure on us. It's all about us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Whatever's happening, it's all us all the time. And when it's not us, then we blame God and we accuse him. And we shake our fist at him and say, you're making my life miserable. When oftentimes, um, sometimes I should say, but more than often, it's the enemy pressing in. We're after all on his terrain. And I think that sometimes anxiety can come over someone and really when they come in and talk to me, 
it looks like anxiety, it sounds like anxiety, it feels like anxiety, and it's warfare. It's actually spiritual attack. Now that's a whole other topic because you could say, well, how do you know the difference, right? And I take them through that process and I know how to look for those things. That's what I do. And so I do look and see if it's warfare or if it's some anxiety. Anxiety might be there, but it may be exacerbated by the enemy stomping on someone's head. And it can feel like you're going to be completely taken out. He is powerful and he kicks us when we're down. And you have to know the ways of the enemy. So when it's warfare, the spiritual um, practice of memorizing verses can be very helpful. Recognizing again that it is warfare so you know how to do battle and what certain strategies would you take. The scriptures actually tell you how to do that in Ephesians 6 and other passages. And so you can begin to walk through and say, what do I need to do to combat what is the enemy stomping on me? Um, and then just what is some maybe general anxiety that I'm having. But I find that scripture memorization is a huge one to practice. Identifying the enemy, knowing the schemes of the enemy, knowing when he presses in and how, when he does that in your life, knowing who is the victor. Christ is the victor, in case you're wondering and applying the blood of Jesus in those places, the finished work of cross on the Christ, the resurrection power of Christ. These are things that you can begin to also work through and talk through. Now there's a whole lot more there that I've done with different clients in different ways, but I won't go into that now because it really is a whole nother topic. But please pay attention to the fact that sometimes it is warfare. And you'll know this dread, this is one indicator for you. When you are in warfare and when you're having your racing anxious thoughts and they're accusatory, you know you're not going to be able to get through this. You know you're going to always be this way. You know you're just going to treat your children terribly. You're going to always have anger problems. You know you're going to ruin their lives. You know you're going to destroy your marriage. You know you're going to lose your job because you can't get it together. You know you... When you hear that those thoughts coming that way, you need to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because maybe it's the enemy pressing in. And likely, I would say, it is. He's just touching on you while you're already vulnerable and in a weak spot. And so that is a different battle that you have to fight. When you're anxious and you're tired and you're weary and you're worn out and you feel like I can't go on, it's hard to fight. When your body is having things happen, it's hard to emotionally fight. That's when you call your girlfriends and your sister girls and you say, hey, I need some prayer and I need you to pray over me for warfare. So we just have a few minutes left and um, this is a huge topic to cover in 45 minutes, but we want to try to get really practical. So we're going to, um, I'm going to give out three imaginary scenarios and ask each panelist to respond to one of what advice you would give this person. So Kristen, Marta has three young children. She craves order, but her life feels out of control. Things at home feel like they're getting on top of her. She worries about her kids getting hurt to the point that she's afraid to let them play out of her sight. She hasn't been to church since her last baby was born because she's afraid to leave him in the nursery. I relate to Martha, I'll tell you that. This is the last season of our lives. Um, so I just kind of want to look at this in three ways briefly, kind of the spiritual, um, the practical, and then the mental aspect of it. 
So spiritual, I mean, primarily, are you abiding in Jesus through his word? That's first and foremost. Um, that way we can take scripture to heart. That way we can remember the promises of God and learn to trust the character of God more and more. Um, but I love this. I heard this from a friend, and it's replacing moments of fear with moments of grace. So there might be one scenario going on in the situation with Martha and, say, her baby in the nursery. But there's also another reality going on. And one might be fearful. What if he's sad? I don't want to leave him. Or I'm not sure about trusting the volunteers. But what about this is a chance for my son to experience the love of the body of Christ and the love of Christ through the church? So asking the Lord, like, help me to see what other reality of grace is amid this fearful reality that I'm going through. Um, the more practical stuff, it's been so helpful for me when I feel like things are getting on top of me at home to meet with an older mom who's walked before me in this and to learn from her. Just some really practical things have come my way from meeting with women from my church. Um, do the next thing. Instead of making a list of 15 things, which is what I do, um, my friend said to me, just three things just three, and then tackle one of them at a time. So trust God for grace for the next moment, and don't worry about the things that you have to do tomorrow so much. Um, this has been huge for me in this season of my life, but Martha could hire help, hire a babysitter, find some time and some margin to rest so that things don't feel like they're getting on top of you so much. Very practical. And then mental, um, and I actually do this, but I'm learning from a book that I'm reading that your brain can't handle um, two mental processes at once in terms of thinking two things at once. So I just start to talk to myself <laughs> when I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed. And Suzanne, you touched on this, but it's really helpful to just say, um, you only, Kristen, take a deep breath. You only have to do the next thing. What's the next thing? Let's do that thing, you know, and just to kind of interrupt the process of worrying thoughts. Um, and singing is actually really helpful to me. I'll just start singing a song if I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed and um, I can't handle a fearful situation or things at home are overwhelming to me. I'll start singing a song. So much helpful there. Okay, very quickly, uh, Courtney. Sarah was in a serious car accident that wasn't her fault. She walked away from a totaled car uninjured. But now when she drives, her heart races to the point she feels like she's having a heart attack, and she's also become an insomniac. Um, yeah, I can relate to this one. Um, so the first thing I would say is find someone you can talk to. I think for those, this type of anxiety can be really hard. You feel like you're alone, and in many ways you are alone, but you're the one who experienced it. And everyone else wasn't there. Everyone else didn't experience it. They didn't walk through it. So I would say find someone you can talk to. I think particularly with the insomnia thing that insomnia is a vicious cycle. So you can't sleep, but sleep is going to make you feel better emotionally, but then you can't sleep. And so it's just this horrible, vicious cycle. So this is a place where I'm not a medical doctor, so I cannot give medical advice. But I think talking to your doctor about the insomnia, well, Suzanne can tell you because she, she deals with this all day long, but um, talking to your doctor and talking to a friend and talking to a counselor, I think would be incredibly helpful in these instances because it's a multiple things going on. You're dealing with, you dealt with trauma and then the trauma is now having a physiological effect on you that's not related to the injury. So I think that would be the first step I would say. Yeah, that concept of the vicious cycle is so key with this because things can spiral down. And if you can interrupt that, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay, last one, quickly. Uh, Jane and her husband, this is for you, Suzanne, recently started a small business. 
it hasn't been as profitable as they expected in the first year. Every time she thinks about their future, she pictures them going bankrupt, losing their house, and moving in with her parents. What would you tell her? Well, that's another situation when there are many things going on. I think um, I would really start with her orientation about who the Lord is and asking her about um, how he is a part of their process of the business. I've worked with a lot of people that don't necessarily know the Lord. Um, If they don't know the Lord, I'm not going to start there. But I am going to ask about their dreams. I'm going to want to know more about what they were thinking about, what she did have as an expectation that was going to happen, what they did anticipate that it was going to look like and how. Um, if she, Once I find that information out, then I'm going to be able to sit with her and, and just help to encourage her in what is what are things that she's already done that are are really good and well and positive? Sometimes we just have to change the narrative a little bit. And so I would help her to start thinking on the other side of not what hasn't accomplished, been accomplished yet, but helping her to identify what has been accomplished because that might strengthen her to be able to think differently about the circumstances and what they have going on. There could be many other factors and the fact that the business hasn't gone well. I mean, COVID hit, it could have been any number of things that are outside of their control. So I would also want to spend time with her um, thinking about those aspects of what is it within the realm of your control? Um, what is in the, within the realm of your husband's control? And even if they talk about those things and work on them together, I know plenty of couples that have done businesses and they're really not quite on the same page. So it also doesn't turn out the way they hope for that reason. But I'm going to explore a lot of different areas for what's happening with her spiritually, what's happening with her emotionally, what's happening with them um, maybe even financially, what's happening with them in terms of socially and that's the constructs that they have to support them in the process of this new business adventure and and endeavor. Um, And then I'm going to um, really just come to that point of what she can and cannot control. And and we'll probably just do some work on how to strengthen her in some of the things that they are doing well. There's so many other factors involved when you're dealing with another person. And that would be the spouse and the business that that person would, if they're not working with me, if they're not coming to my home talking to me and I only have her, then that's the only place that I'm going to be able to work out of. But there could be many things that are happening on another side um, that might need to be considered as well for why things aren't going well. If she can't sleep and she can't eat and she's having a lot of problems related to that and her anxiety, then of course that's going to be another area of dealing with and talking with her about what's happening for her physiologically. Um, when is she able to rest? Maybe helping her to do some mindfulness, um, places where she can get quiet, get some time to herself, um, and and think about um, what's important to her in those moments with all the other stuff that she cannot control. You know the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I can change and the, that I cannot change and the courage to, cha- to change the things that I can. Sometimes that little simple prayer has to become part of the equation. I'm sorry to say we are out of time, but I want to say a very brief prayer for all of you, for you watching online. So let's go before the Lord together. Father in heaven, I thank you that you know how we were formed. You remember that we are dust. And as a father has compassion on his children, you have compassion on those who fear you. Lord, we want to fear you, not our circumstances, not the future. We pray that you would give us daily bread and daily grace. 
help each of us to help each other put our eyes on you and not the things that we fear. We commit our anxious hearts to you, looking forward to the day when we will dwell in your presence forever and have complete peace. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.